0: Welcome to the e-commerce growth series. My name is Ronald Dodd, Chief Market Officer and Partner at Visiture. Here today with another episode where I talked to Brad Redding at Elevar. Um, Elevar, if you don't know, is a really cool company that makes sure that all your tagging on your website is implemented correctly and firing correctly. As someone who manages his own Google Ads campaigns and social advertising campaigns, having correct tagging is Paramount for us and extremely important for any e commerce merchant out there that wants to correct conversion tracking. We talked about a lot of things today, talked about tagging, attribution modeling, events, data privacy, and more. And if you currently manage or use an agency to manage your advertising campaigns, uh, you're going to really love this episode. Spoke about 50, 55 minutes, and Brad just had tons of great information to share and a lot of things that I have never heard about in 10 years of managing advertising campaigns. Talked about a few things. Uh, First talked about Elevar and correctly managing tags and how that works. We talked about disasters with incorrect tagging and how this can really hurt your revenue and choke off your sales if you're not doing it correctly. Talked about different types of tagging issues, how to avoid different issues. Talked about the balance of site speed and what happens when you implement too many tags and how to really find that balance between site speed and implementing some of JavaScript and, and tags on your website. Talked a lot about data privacy with GDPR uh, and what merchants need to know and how to optimize for a post-cookie world. Talked about using data segmentation events and attribution modeling to achieve higher performance marketing campaigns, which um, Brad had a lot of great information, great thoughts that I never heard about. So excited for you to hear about it. And finally, Brad gives us his prediction for the future of e-commerce. Enjoy. All right, Brad, thank you for joining the show. Can you get started and tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Thanks, Ron, I appreciate you having me on. Uh, Yeah, so my name is Brad Redding, I'm the founder and CEO of Elevar. Uh, And at Elevar, we really focus on on on-site analytics uh, and tagging. So essentially everything before the purchase uh, process. So really, ultimately, we ensure that brands have the right tracking in place to manage their analytics data collection, to manage their marketing analytics collection, so they can spend more time focusing on uh, strategizing and implementing conversion optimization opportunities versus uh, worrying about tagging and and potentially issues that arise with tagging uh, an e-commerce site.
0: Yeah, it's, it's such an interesting need. And you're really the first company that I've seen really focus on it. Um, what made you decide to start Elevar?
1: Yeah, it's interesting you say that, uh, because we actually didn't start Elevar uh, with that focus. Uh, we started Elevar in 2017. And it was at that point, it was really a focus on automating data analysis from google analytics so a lot of times you'd get into if you're potentially managing multiple uh, multiple clients you're looking at the same data um, for all all those clients so you start elevar with that premise of let's just create a tool that can automate the same repetitive analysis that you'd be doing to ultimately surface insights um, and as we evolved over the last couple of years um ultimately tagging and and just Problems either implementing tagging, uh, just a lack of trust that we hear from brands quite often that they have in their data, whether it's Google Analytics data or their marketing pixels like Facebook, Credio, AdWords, etc. Uh, we eventually just started to focus more on you know where where are customer is having the most pain, um, and continuing to focus solving for that pain. Uh, and there was a we had a great quote from a customer a year or so ago and. You know, we we're presenting all this really nifty analysis and data analysis and event tracking uh, that we'd set up for him, and he said he goes, "That all sounds great, but I just need to ensure that my AdWords tags never break again, and I will gladly pay you, you know, five hundred dollars a month or whatever it is for the rest of my life, just to ensure that that data is accurate." Because at that point it was like the chocolate and broccoli uh, syndrome, where you know we were presenting the chocolate of you know rich data and rich insights and things that you could do with it, con- conversion optimization. Uh, and he really didn't, didn't even care about that because the foundation, the core foundation of just the marketing tracking and marketing, uh, tagging was not implemented properly. It, it broke and it was, you know, essentially 10 xing the spike of his, uh, cost per transaction in AdWords. So that, that is really where we ended up evolving to where we are now is really focusing on accurate data collection is, is really just listening to our customers and working with them, um, on a daily basis. And, uh, that's where we are today. I have very similar stories, and it's
0: funny how many merchants out there do not correctly, you know, attribute their revenue from Google Ads. Uh, we've audited many accounts in the past, and it's always a. Uh, it's always not a great moment when we tell them, "Hey, your account, it actually isn't achieving a 5 ROAS. It's achieving yeah. like a 2.2 ROAS." <laughs> yeah. Because your uh your tracking pixel is double counting conversions, and there's one particular platform that was pretty notorious for doing this in the early days, and uh it's just it's really uh sad to see all these merchants just waste so much money in the Google Ads account when all they had to do is just basically fix their pixel.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, so it's, I, I definitely empathize with uh, with any brand, like anyone that has to manage their pixels or tags or events. And just, just listen to the way I described it is it's every single platform, whether it's Facebook, Google, and then when you get into affiliates and gridios and display networks and everything else, everyone has their own naming convention. So if, even if you just, just look at them, most people listening to this, Probably have the Facebook Pixel Helper Chrome extension to help them debug their Facebook Pixel. They have the GA Tag Assistant. They might have they might have the Snapchat uh, Pixel Helper. It's like even the way that the platforms name. So if just Facebook versus Google. Google is tag or event, depending on which Google tool you're looking at, and Facebook is pixel, pixel and event. So that alone just creates a lot of confusion. Is are you implementing a pixel? What's the difference between a Facebook pixel and a Facebook event? Uh, and then once you get in the weeds of all the different ways to send data and to collect data, it's it is very confusing. It can be very confusing if you are not focused on it all the time. Uh, so that's why that there's there's so many brands out there that just have. Know, very foundational tracking issues, just because it's it's hard to understand the nomenclature and and things are evolving so fast right now, and the way um, the way to implement tagging is is uh, is changing. So it's yeah, it's a headache for for sure, and it's the it's the it's the things that aren't fun to do. It's not fun to uh, work on your pixels. It's more fun to think about what type of campaigns and and where to optimize, you know, leads or add to carts, etc.
0: Yeah, and so funny. I I'm very lost when it comes to tagging and, and pixels. I view myself as a really good marketer, uh, mm-hmm. but funny enough, yesterday I was in my Google Tag Manager trying to figure out how to implement this stupid pixel <laughs> to connect our <laughs> Salesforce yeah. and our uh, and our website and uh, Google Analytics. And uh, you know, I went through this whole rabbit hole of going through support, you know, Q&A and chats, and then finally the chat guy said you have to hit publish in your Google Tag Manager. (laughs) And (laughs) then I go up there and sure enough, there's no publish button, but it's like save or something. And then the next button is publish. And so it's funny how complicated it can be and how sometimes simple the solutions are for for tagging correctly.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. And we we still make our own mistakes uh, today. We're we're having uh, even for our own site and a lot of the tools that we offer, the monitoring uh, analytics, tag and all that. It really just comes down to you have Engineers, so you have engineers and marketers, and uh, marketers aren't the greatest at thinking through from a technical perspective, and can't understand some of these very complex requirements for for implementing tagging that generally are written by someone technical. Uh, and then you have the the technical folks, so engineers, developers, etc., where they don't live in marketing, and so they don't understand like what's why do you need to have a catalog ID tied to an add to cart and a view content and purchase event. It, they don't they don't live in that world so they don't understand the need for the remarketing and how that can really boost an overall return on ad spend across all all platforms or how it's used for lookalike audiences et cetera so that's just like two opposite ends of the spectrum but essentially there there needs to be that bridge to uh you know to connect those two so things are implemented in the you know, in a technically sound way and it, it obviously meets the the needs of the marketer
0: yeah. Do you feel that you kind of deal more with a IT manager compared to the
1: marketers nowadays? Uh, that's a great question. I our primary persona is is typically like the a brand owner, so a Shopify brand owner, but we 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 have three personas that we, we generally try to tie some of our marketing around and one is the the business owner or the essentially the the business or marketing owner that owns the entire marketing implementation uh, and but one of them is the is the technical lead and especially with the the growth in headless sites uh, single page apps and you know everything in between where we're definitely working more uh, more with the technical leads or architects or it managers on the implementation because at that point it's just it's way outside the outside the realm of any documentation that even shopify might have and on implementing various pixels and tags so we do work with with uh, technical team members but uh, still today we we work more directly with uh, again the the marketers or the business owners
0: that's generally I feel the people that are really managing these campaigns. And it's funny, I've been reading all these articles throughout the past year on how marketers need to adapt into being more data specialists and understanding mm-hmm. how to use data. And I think it's just becoming more and more prevalent to be able to understand how to use Google Ads, tracking pixels. And I know there's a lot of marketers that don't want to do it, but uh, it's the world yeah. we're facing now, you know?
1: Yeah. yeah, it's the it's the the battle of having a wider breadth so do you want to have a wide breadth of uh skill sets or do you want to go very deep in something so it's uh i'm we are seeing more more and more marketers that are educating themselves i'm trying to become savvy with google tag manager uh, but there's still that it's that fine line of you know enough to basically gsd uh, and potentially get yourself in trouble but there's that limitation of uh not having the dedicated time to go really deep uh, on Google Tag Manager and all of the possibilities that it can afford uh, afford you on the marketing side, so that is, I think it's great because there's there's a ton of free education. I mean, we we have a ton of free videos on Google Tag Manager and how to implement Facebook tracking, AdWords, etc. So there's a lot of DIY types out there, but there's still that the limitation of you know if you end up spending eighty percent of your time on data collection. That means you're only spending twenty percent of your time in actual uh, you know, campaign implementation, which, you know, you're, you're the expert in this realm. So I'll, I'll let you, you know, determine what that percentage that, what that real percentage should look like. But that's where, uh, you know, we're trying to trying to do as much as we can just to help, you know, on board and, and simplify the whole process for that tagging, the different marketing tagging across channels. You guys suggest to use Google tag manager, correct? Yeah, we do. Yep. I mean, it's essentially it's, In the world of data collection, it really boils down to Google Tag Manager versus Segment versus just having everything directly hard-coded in the theme. And uh, Google Tag Manager and Segment, uh, this doesn't get talked a lot uh, or much uh, about these two together, but they're really accomplishing largely the same thing. I mean, with Google Tag Manager, what Elevar, we do as a company is we essentially wrap a lot of the Google services to help it be be more of a like head-to-head comparison to segment. And if you're not familiar with segments, segments like you tag your site once and then you handle all of the, the, you know, sending data server-side potentially um, to different platforms. Uh, And Google Tag Manager is coming out with their own server-side data collection process. So again, you can start sending data outside the browser to these different channels. But uh, for us, Google Tag Manager, it's it's free, it's easy to get started. Uh, There's a ton of uh, how-tos out there. It allows you with it just gives a ton of control that can help either with things like site speed, um, with monitoring, which we have uh, again wrapped around Google Tag Manager implementations, and just all of the pre-built tag templates that are out there. So if you need, I've used Criteo I think three or four times, but there's probably a hundred different plus tag templates where you just need to go into Google Tag Manager, find that tag template, plug in your account ID, and it's done. And you don't you don't need to worry about uh, you know, defining, going through, and implementing the the script and the code base, and you know, worrying about deployments and things getting wiped out, et cetera.
0: Yeah, Brett, that makes sense with you know um, GTM becoming so popular. But I do hear um, of disasters like me not being able to publish tags <laughs> and yeah. more. And something I want to ask you is, what are kind of like the biggest disasters you've seen from you know? tagging, et cetera. And more so, I want to know, like, are there any real pitfalls that merchants need to know about when utilizing tagging correctly?
1: Yeah. Uh, so I probably have four or five top tagging mistakes that we see ultimately cause wasted ad spend. Um, they're not necessarily specific to just Google Tag Manager. Uh, these are more general, but uh, the first one is uh, duplicate conversion tracking firing or even lack of conversion tracking firing. So the duplicate conversion tracking firing and I, I i think you've had this happen in your past as well i mean this this essentially is inflating the conversion values so it's going to throw off your oas and everything else that you might have tied to that so that's that is definitely a big uh clinical disaster that we see uh the the flip side of conversion tracking is not firing uh, this can either be just in general where they're not firing at all uh, and obviously that that has the opposite effect over OS, so everything will tank Uh, There's also the the hidden with Shopify specifically with Recharge and uh, Bold and any of the other third-party payment platforms is when you're implementing or launching a site, you you, you might put a lot of focus on the conversion tracking for Shopify. Uh, And we've seen these other third-party payments, which with subscriptions can be a large percentage of orders, you know, 30, 40, 50% of all orders, and they're just left out. Uh, so, you're, you're, you'll you see some conversions coming through from the, from the one-time purchases, but you're missing out on those subscription purchases. So, that's, that is, that is in general, like disaster number one that we see um, happen quite often. Another, uh, another one is mismatched product catalog IDs. Uh, again, this, this really comes from uh, it's really focused on the dynamic product remarketing. So, as you know, within Facebook and AdWords and others, you have to have a catalog within the platform. But then you have your pixel, essentially, or the tag that fires has to have that matching uh, product ID or catalog ID. And usually, the catalogs, uh, unless someone has a unified like Feedonomics or something that's you know, sending that same catalog to all platforms, so you might have SKU as a primary product ID and in, in AdWords, and you might have variant ID inside of Facebook. Uh, but all the tags are set up for one or the other, so that that use that leads to product catalog mismatches, and essentially that just uh, that really impacts your dynamic product remarketing campaigns, as you're not able to show the the, the user the product that they viewed or potentially added to cart. Uh, a couple others that uh, maybe aren't as large of an issue, but we we see them quite regular, regularly would be. Uh, inside your tag, so think about your purchase conversion, where you need your order ID and revenue, and uh, potentially you know different uh, customer data. So there'll be undefined variables in those tags. Uh, so, for example, a customer email might be undefined and in their Facebook conversion pixel, but you are wanting to utilize email for uh, advanced uh, matching or potentially other uh, other rules and other platforms. Uh, we've seen undefined. Uh, cart totals. So if you're trying if you have a remark in the audience based on you know, uh, a cart total size of greater than a hundred dollars, if that cart total variable is undefined, then you will lose out on that opportunity. Um, so that's one that we see uh, fairly often. Uh, another one, the conversion tag firing on non-purchase pages. So this would be a transaction um, that actually fires uh, like on an add the cart or a cart view. So again, that can happen uh, and cause ROAS to go go haywire. Um, and then the other one I would say is the just lack of customer behavior event tracking. So this would be uh, getting more, more deep into not sending video plays or not sending uh, email subscriptions, things of that nature to these platforms that you can then leverage for more personalized uh, remarketing audience campaigns. Remarketing campaigns, excuse me. So those are what I consider the the five like f- the five biggest mistakes that we see on a on a fairly frequent basis.
0: Yeah, the last one, uh, firing on the wrong page is definitely near and dear to my heart. We were running a really aggressive LinkedIn campaign and a social campaign, and uh, conversions were through the roof. And I was like, man, this is working great. Like, what are we doing here? And I was looking at the pages they're converting on, that realized we were tracking it by putting the pixel on our thank you page. But we have a thank you page from our, our form submission page and then our careers contact form submission page. So we're basically just getting resumes or paying to get all these people to you submit jobs. To visit visit your I was like, no, oh no. <laughs>
1: yeah. 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 We've all we've all had those uh, those experiences. And the, the goal is just to limit them, limit the frequency of them or catch them quickly before you know they go on for several weeks or, se- or several months.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. And, and a lot of times you have to really think through it too. You can't just be a robot and just, you know, kind of go through a a process that we did where we just put in all of our thank you pages. You have to really yeah. think through, like, do we have other contact forms? Like what are the purchase paths with those? Um, you just have to be really strategic with your attribution yeah. model and your tagging. Yeah. I feel, and this could be totally debunked by you, but I feel like I need to ask you, can putting more tags on the site, does that affect site speed?
1: Yeah, it it's... It's a fact, any tag, any script for that matter that you're placing on the site, it is going to add, um, in some cases, a very small or potentially very large incremental load. Uh, and it's important to look at, it's not just marketing pixels or tags per se, so not just your Facebook tag or AdWords, but you also think about other third-party scripts like live chat, like Zendesk, uh, or... Uh, any other really third-party feature, think about Yapo or Dynamic Yield or Google Optimize or whatever it might be. Those are all additional scripts that essentially when you're adding a script to your website, you are your site is having to load their JavaScript library. So I'll use Zendesk as an example since we, we have this on one of our blog articles. For most people, when you're loading Zendesk on a site, you're only using 5% of their entire JavaScript library, which is simply for the live chat. But they are, they're having to load you know, because you are just embedding the script in your theme. You're essentially loading that entire library, which will weigh down the site. It's, it's a balance of you can't have a site. If you had a site with no, no third-party tracking and no third-party features, the site's not going to last. So it's a balance of you, you fighting to have that 0.5-second page load or 1-second page load. Compared to having a 1.1 seconds or 1.05 seconds, which reality is is for the most part of the marketing scripts, that's going to be the difference in the in the page load. It's just, it's not worth like the, the revenue difference is not worth it. Like you, you've, you have to have your marketing tracking in place. Uh, so there's, there's so many different ways around like optimizing site speed with, especially with Google tag manager. So just going back to that Zendesk example, something that we do pretty much with all of our tags that are not like what we consider critical tags that that have to fire right away, just, you just have them fire on a timer. So you don't need to live chat right when the page loads. So just have live chat fire like three to five seconds after the page is done loading. At that point, that script is no longer you. You won't you won't get dinged in your Lighthouse score, and we've seen this where just having Zendesk load on a normal all pages trigger versus loading three to five seconds after the page is done, uh, the Lighthouse score was like 15 points different. And it's that is that's the again going when I was talking earlier about going deep in GTM is that's where some of that knowledge can really help. Yes, marketing tracking is important. Yes, you need it for prospecting, remarketing, etc. Um, it's just determining, you know, what ones need to fire right away, and determine that order, and then that way you can defer some of these non-critical scripts, um, so they're not loading initially when that user is starting to navigate the page. They can kick in and load after the fact.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, and I think we could talk all day about the balancing act between scripts and, you know, site speed. And, mm-hmm. and it's so interesting, so many. Especially clients of visitor have asked us throughout the years, how do we improve sight speed? And improving yeah. your sight speed is kind of like building a race car. You know, you take a car, you strip out the AC, you strip out the radio, you take out the seats all with the goal of getting it lighter so it goes yeah. faster, right? Yeah. And the same thing with the website. Like, yeah, you can make your site better, but you're going to have to take out your, like you said, live chat, take out your help center, take out this, and eventually yeah. you're just going to have a blank white white page website that's really boring, and then you're going to be less likely to convert because you don't have those additional features. So yeah. it's kind of like hard to find that balancing act. I'm glad you said that implementing that lazy load, you know, where it loads it when it's ready to load those certain aspects of the website instead yep. of loading all at once. Yeah, I think that's critical for merchants out there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it achieves the the technical hurdle of engineers that, you know, they don't want to weigh down the site with a lot of these heavy third-party scripts. Uh, and then it meets the marketer's condition Well, it's still there. It's just loading a little bit later. So it's a great, it's a great middle ground that we found in our experience.
0: Yeah, and especially if you're running like a new platform, there's so many plugins you can install to do lazy loading automatically. Like even on the visitor site, we use WordPress and we have a lazy loading plugin and Shopify has, you know, a lot of those capabilities
1: and a lot of different apps that you can utilize. Yeah. Yeah. And there's in and the, the timer, tri- timer based trigger, like fire this tag after five seconds of page load that's a native trigger inside of google tag manager so it's anybody anybody can implement it
0: so something that has nothing to do with page speed but i'm (laughs) really excited to talk to you about it because i think it's such a huge you know hot topic right now is data and privacy Um, and kind of interested how this is all really going to affect tagging and what we need to do. So obviously, there's been a lot of need for opt-ins in the European Union, and now that's going to California. Can you speak a little bit more to that and how that's going to affect tagging and what merchants need to know about?
1: Yeah, this is this is another one that we could talk 24 hours on. So I'll try to keep it somewhat high level. Uh, so essentially, you have GDPR that rolled out. You know, a little over a year year or two ago gosh has it been two years already maybe it was just it's been a year uh, and then you have ccpa which uh went into effect july 1st uh 2020 uh even though cc ccpa has been talked about a lot and it really i think ccpa is going to grow uh it's it is not something right now that i think many brands have wrapped their head around like how important it is to make sure they are complying, and I believe it's it's going to be a potentially a policy that we'll see roll out across other states or just U.S. or Canada or you know other countries that aren't tied to EU directly in the future. It's it is going to make a big impact. The biggest difference uh, with CCPA is so they it's more of like an uh, opt out versus an opt in. So you you don't have have to necessarily force users to physically opt to tracking, you have an opt out uh, submission where users can opt out essentially from having their data collected and sold, et cetera. And essentially once that happens, then if somebody just submits a form on a site saying, Hey, you know, I live in California and I don't want to be tracked, then you are no longer as a, as the owner of the website, you are no longer allowed to collect and pixel that person and send that data to other marketing channels like Facebook. So just for the first 30 days, uh, to use an example of what Facebook is doing is they're giving you um, essentially 30 days to comply where they, they are basically taking the burden for you saying, we know if someone's in California uh, so we're not going to send the user specific data. We're not going to allow that data being sent to your pixel. Uh, But after that 30 days grace period, then it's up to you to essentially figure out how to control this. Um, and if you don't, then you will be subject. I mean, Facebook isn't stating this, but this is the reality is if uh, if you are not complying, then you potentially putting yourself at risk of uh, breaking some of the CCPR regulations, which the fines, uh, I know GDPR fines are substantial, like seven figure plus uh, and CCPA I don't—I don't recall what the fines are, but I'm sure it's not like a $50 fine. It's—it's going to be something much more significant. So the—that's the maybe not the long answer, but the the middle ground of it is going to drastically change the way that brands are required to collect data and send it to marketing platforms. And again, it's not—it's not easy to understand. The—the the two big things with CCPA are you have—you uh, either need to be doing 20, I think. 20 or 25 million, uh, annual revenue, uh, or have 50,000 user sessions from the state of California in a year period. Uh, and we'll, maybe double check those stats, but that's not a lot of users, I man. Most people, uh, if you're, if you just go into Google analytics, you can see how many people you have in the last year from California. If you're over 50,000, then I believe that puts you into the, uh, the, realm of you need to be complying with CCPA regulations.
0: Yeah. Is this all due to data breaches? And, you know, why is this GDPR compliant needed now?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think GDPR, again, it's been a while since I've read a ton about the GDPR when, when it first initially rolled out, but that was part of your know, data breaches and just, I think general privacy user privacy and uh, user, user privacy groups were making Big pushes for uh, you know, a more private web and browsing experience. Um, so I would imagine it certainly played a part in you know, the, the push for GDPR and just regulating it. Especially if uh, the GDPR guidelines are very very strict in terms of what you're able to do with with user data and if someone you, know, you have to delete it if someone requests it, etc. So GDPR I, I feel like it is uh, was was largely around a lot of the data breaches that we are continuing to see happen and still do. Um, a CCPA, it might have some to do with that. It might just be a little bit more, like on the privacy and just general privacy side of, uh, you know, everyone just really living their lives through the web now, and um, so much tracking and third-party tracking and and you know third-party scripting going on. Uh, it might might not be as directly related to data breaches as GDPR was, in in my opinion.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like the old CAN-SPAM Act, you know, mm-hmm. the enacted. So it'll be interesting to see if that kind of enacts in a federal way. Yeah. Um, but. It'll be interesting to see how marketers adjust to it. I'm sure there's going to be, you know, software and, and SaaS that they'll come out. They'll make it a lot easier to manage all the different compliance issues.
1: Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's another one I could spend. You could spend a month trying to figure out, untangle the web of uh, everything, everything in between GDPR and CCPA. And, and now you, you add on uh, browsers. So with browsers are, you have GDPR, you have CCPA. And then you have browsers and specifically, I'm sure those have heard ITP and like Apple, the, uh, the tracking protocol, intelligent tracking protocol. And that is like the, it's like a three headed monster the way I'm, I look at it. Um, uh, cause again, it's very easy for those three to, uh, blend into one another and try to understand like, what do all, what do they all mean? And how is it going to affect me, uh, the easiest example with browsers and and giving an example uh there was a, a quote-unquote scare or a false article that came out or fa- false reporting that came out that apple's latest version of safari was blocking google analytics by default so you weren't you would not get any google analytics data uh, for any user using safari that was a it was incorrect false and just a misinterpretation of the most recent apple i think their measure event or event that they were they had where they're going through some of the latest improvements in itp so the even if you're you have everything in in line for gdpr and you're in a good place with ccpa uh, you could still be at risk of uh, browsers really impacting your ability to collect data um, and use it for Things from conversion optimization, A B testing to attribution and, and everything in between. And essentially, what browsers are doing, and they're just they're blocking any data, any cookie, any third party cookie data collection, uh, which is really for, and in your world, in our world, it's very, that's extremely impactful to uh, remarketing.
0: Yeah, that was going to be kind of my next question, really is what are merchants going to be doing in a post cookie list world? How are we going to, run retargeting other campaigns do you have any ideas there
1: yeah i mean it's it's you if you may have heard and others listening may have heard the word server side uh i think it's it's you have to be careful and just assuming a like, server side is going to fix everything because it's really not but it's basically it's going to be you're going to still have some data and potentially users that have opted into data collection um so you'll still be able to send that but what you'll likely will have to do is get more creative and there'll be more products and services and maybe in some of that we get into is allowing more data to go directly from your platform. If you are running a a server, if you're on Magento or something like that where you own the server, it's much easier to access that data um, and send it to wherever you want. With Shopify, the limitations will be um, a little bit more than if you had full control over the server with the advent of like easy server to server API integrations uh, it's that is likely going to be the first uh, the first wave of backfilling some of that m- missing pixel data that uh, that you might, you might lose out just from browsers cutting down on some of the tracking that you're able to do.
0: Yeah. And I think more and more merchants are going to need to move towards, you know, more email marketing, uh, yeah. and, and other, other ways to really drive, um, You know revenue. Um, I know that there's a couple tools out there. I know ListTrack just uh, put in a new growth platform that they're doing where Mm -hmm. they're able to uh, basically track users out of the cookie, I believe. It's Mm -hmm. probably a little bit over my head, but it was pretty uh, (laughs) pretty cool to see that how these merchants are going to have to adjust and and utilize different tools and tactics to be successful without
1: retargeting. Yeah. Email, really anything that's sending a direct link out to users, email, SMS, etc. They will have, they're largely going to benefit but also have a bigger responsibility now in tracking uh, and that just it goes back to the point of whether it is an email facebook campaign google it doesn't matter it's your link on your on just on your your facebook page everything you need to be tracking with utm parameters uh, and that, that's just you, you have to do that you have to just tag your traffic with very specific data so not just source medium but getting on the campaign and campaign content. So you're able to leverage, uh, leverage that in your analytics, in your Google analytics, which you'll still be able to track. Like that's not going anywhere. That's all first party. Uh, but having leveraging more of your campaign campaign data to interpret a little bit more on where the user is in their journey is going to be become even more critical than it is today
0: yeah so with that, something I'm very interested in is boosting you know advertising performance, obviously. Um, and so something I always love to ask is what are your kind of thoughts on using data to be able to boost advertising performance in paid media, you know social, YouTube, yeah. Google, etc?
1: Yeah, it's a great, great question. Uh, so there is what we call event tracking where you can you know tag your site and send that event data to Google Analytics. You essentially can do the same thing for Facebook, AdWords, any really any marketing channel that can that will accept uh custom event data and most do uh, so let's use quizzes as an example quizzes are, are the rage and they're popular and they work uh, for a reason but you're asking very you as the brand are asking very specific questions in that quiz about the customer and they're answering them telling you about them or their likes or dislikes uh, and then you can use that to better leverage uh, and curate marketing messages so one example would be uh, a customer of ours, Cover FX. They have a three or four question about matching you to the right foundation color. Uh, so once they know those three or four answers about you know, their skin tone and et cetera, et cetera, they can then use that in their emails and their remarketing. Uh, that's a very specific and curated image content to what I answered when I filled out the quiz versus something that is just in you know, a, a mass marketing message. Regarding just you know between the twenty different foundation colors that they might have available for a single foundation or shades, I think it's foundation shade. So that that's one example. And another one is again if you're we're using uh, event data or tracking uh, user behavior on a website. So think about if they filter someone is, is looking at a handbags uh, category page and they filter by like a color or size or any other unique characteristic of it. Is that that same data that we're sending it to Google Analytics is we also send that to AdWords uh, as a it's like a unique property to uh, an event that we send to AdWords and then again this is getting into you and your your team's world the, and I believe you guys do this as well but you use you can use if conditions in your AdWords statements so you basically take the behavior that someone is doing on the site you add it into an if if conditions when creating an AdWords or just like an ad. So then, when again, if it's a potentially remarketing, if uh, it's a remarketing audience, they are going to see in your in that that ad for the brand, uh, you know, the title of the ad, but it's going to be appended with potentially some behavior that they. So let's say they filtered by black handbags, so it could be you know, you're appending it with like the color black or something else specific that the user did on site. So that's the you know without getting too much in the weeds on on that specific use case. That that those are two examples of. You you collect the data, like the behavior-based data, not page view based data. You collect that data and then you can leverage that in Clavio and Facebook and AdWords and others.
0: I love it. Yeah. I appreciate you going to that kind of detail because I think it's really good to hear. I think a lot of advice out there when it comes to use data is like, oh, just, you know, take your data and segment it. You know, there's not yeah. really a whole lot of kind of actual items, but I love the quizzes. I've never honestly heard of that. So that's really, really um impactful. I, I like it. Um, speaking of another rabbit hole, I want to go down with you <laughs> is attribution modeling. I know we could talk about all day with yep. this, but, um, you know, I kind of want to just kind of get a sense. Like, why do you think attribution modeling is important? And what do you think is the best way to use attribution modeling
1: nowadays? Oh, man, that's a loaded question. Depending on the way I answer, I could get lots of uh, pitchforks coming coming my way. Uh, the attribution is it's like the Holy Grail and most most are never going to get there. And honestly, for most, it's not worth the effort. Uh, there's, I think there's answering the question as we are in today, uh, in 2020. So the attribution is, there's really three different, well, there's more than three, but three ways that we're, we're most involved in an IC is you have the Google Analytics uh, customer attribution model where you can customize it it's all it's very click-based depending if you are on an upgraded uh, analytics plan you they can actually send in impression data from adwords but essentially uh, it allows you to move around attribution so you can if you are very heavy on new customer acquisition and less on profit you might give higher weight like 80 percent to the first touch um, and then maybe spread out the rest between the middle and the last touch or you know, there's so many different combinations in there. But with a custom model that you can create inside of analytics, you can do things like zeroing out any revenue attributed to direct. So if you have a, a path to purchase where somebody comes in through a Facebook prospecting ad and then you know, they are, they click on a display retargeting ad and then they potentially come back direct to the site. Uh, with this rule, you can set up in analytics is Instead of direct having revenue attributed to it in your standard source meeting reports, that revenue is then taken away from direct and then it's redistributed out to Facebook and Google in that example. And that is something that when we set that up, it's super simple to set up. It, we usually see anywhere from like a 20 to 50% drop in revenue that's attributed to direct, uh, which is critical when you're starting to measure and evaluate ROI for different marketing channels. So that's one that's like the easiest one to get set up uh, easy as in relative. You don't need the you don't need new software to do it. You just need to make sure you have your traffic tagged with UTM parameters and then just know how to create a custom model inside of analytics. Facebook has there has an attribution uh, tool as well where you can push data into Facebook and then that allows you to get more view through. So everyone's you know, if you're listening to this, it is a high likelihood that you are advertising on Facebook. So it's important to look at view through and seeing how view through impressions are impacting. Uh, so you can, that's, that's one that it's fairly new for some and most don't have imp- implemented. And then there's other third party, um, attribution tools, uh, like a rocker box. Um, uh, I'm having a brain bookhead reports, I think. Anyway, so there's other third parties and essentially what, what I know some of them are doing is they're just ensuring that, you know, all of your traffic, like every campaign link is tagged and then they have the software that's helping match back, uh, you know, back to that user's journey and different tags that they are different clicks and paths that they came through to the site. So with, with two, that one to two years out when all third party uh, cookie tracking is, is blocked and just general like cookies and browsers in general have locked down a lot of that historic, like storing that historical record for a user. Attribution as we know it today is going to be it's going to be even more difficult to to manage um, because you if you look at just in Google Analytics, you won't have that user that one single user who's been cookied for 60 days and you can see their entire path to purchase In analytics more than likely that one user like you Ron would potentially look at look like three to four unique users inside of Google Analytics because essentially your all of your data is reset from these browsers cracking down so that's uh, again we can we can talk talk all day about it. So I think it's important looking at it now, um, seeing what you are able to do, and use it to help uh, you know understand what channels are performing better on top of the funnel. So uh, attributing to email signups or product views, etc., and then what campaigns or channels are performing better at the bottom of the funnel, uh, and, and you know, initiating checkout and purchases.
0: Yeah, and, and it's so funny how many merchants out there will only use the last click attribution because it's default in Google yeah. Analytics. Yeah there's so many better ways to look at attribution modeling, especially when you have a item that is a high price point, yep. you're going to have a lot of multiple checkpoints until you convert them into a customer. Yep. And really what happens is merchants just focus on their kind of high retention, retargeting email kind of channels and really choke off their acquisition channels from SEO PPC because they think it's not making them as much revenue yep. and ultimately hurts their growth and really stunts it. Yeah. Um, with that, in the last rabbit hole, I want to go down with you <laughs> is event tracking, because I'm honestly very uh, unaware about event tracking and mm-hmm. how to leverage this. And I'm really curious, you know, we talked pre-show a lot about it. You had a lot of great ideas about event tracking and how to leverage that better. So what are kind of some key ways that you help merchants better use events?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So the, the first thing is we we help merchants, uh, we help enable the possibility of event tracking. Most Most don't do it because... It's too technical or it takes up too much time so we we built we built a chrome extension that we launched in january of this year uh actually we launched it last last year but it's, it's a point and click so you can just point and click on your website um, and we automatically create the tag and the trigger um, for that event so if you wanted to track uh main navigation or people you know clicking on your reviews or downloading or watching a video or downloading a pdf those are what what i define as events um, and that's what our the Chrome extension that we have can help enable that. So you don't need us potentially or someone technical to do that for you. But if event tracking, again, it goes back to my earlier statement just in regards to how the different marketing platforms, uh, how they just name things. Again, you have the Facebook pixel, the Google tag, the Twitter, I don't know, Twitter calls it something in between. There, it's really all events. It's, it is the non-page view behavior that someone is taking on site. And what we help uh, some examples of brands that we help uh, implement event tracking and leverage it is if you just think about a, a landing page. So you have a big campaign, whether it's a product launch or a new product line, and you're driving all this traffic to maybe one or two landing pages. Uh, and it's not likely to you know, be a, a direct response purchase. So some example events that you could collect on that page to evaluate performance would be um how long are they on the page? And don't don't rely on the native time on page metric in GA. It's false. It's accurate. I won't get into why. But I'm um, actually having a timer-based trigger so you can send an event to analytics and to Facebook of someone's been on here for 10 seconds, 20 seconds, 30 seconds, 60 seconds, uh, two minutes, three minutes. So uh, if you just take that one single event and you go down the, the Facebook remarketing rabbit hole of if you know that a user, if just in a cohort, if you know that, you know, 20% of users are on the, the page for 10 seconds or less. And, but then you had, you know, a 30% of users are on that page for more than two minutes. They're digesting that content. So it's more likely to be a higher value remarketing audience. Uh, so that's just one event, one example on how you can leverage that, uh, in your marketing campaigns. And then just other events, as you think about a landing page, uh, watching a video. So that's an event you can track people that are watching that. And that's, you know, that's a, a signal of intent potentially. Uh, you can even track uh, how long they've watched a video. Uh, do you have any call to actions or any FAQs? FAQ is actually uh, one that we use all the time. It's amazing. You track your FAQs and track the what people are expanding or reading. And you can see the conversion rate for those. And that's like that is a easy way to help optimize the site because again, users are telling you exactly what they are interested in or what they're wondering. You see the conversion rate from that, and you basically use that data to improve the site experience. Uh, PDF downloads, etc. But essentially, you, you let's say you have five to eight or nine events that are set up on that landing page for the campaign. Is you can pull that back and then look at those campaigns in analytics or Facebook or AdWords or whatever whatever it is, and you can just Think about like a, a table real report where you have your dimension your dimensions as your campaigns, and then each column is number of sessions, number of people that you know were on the page for thirty seconds, number of people that watched a video, that signed up for an email, that eventually viewed a product or you know, performed some other activity, uh, and that just we've seen that just make huge dividends in uh, tweaking landing pages, tweaking messaging, et cetera. I could go on all day. I love event tracking. Obviously, it's what we do. It's what we specialize in. But there's just there's so much, so much that you can do with it. Um, yeah, it's, it's very powerful, very powerful data.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's interesting too. We've been in a lot of kind of like the video tracking as well. And, uh, it, it's really interesting what you can do with it and how it can really help you measure performance. Yeah. 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 Great. Well, last question I'd love to ask everyone. What do you see as a future of e-commerce?
1: Oh man. Uh, <laughs> that is nagging. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. That's a loaded, loaded question. Put me on the spot here. Uh, number one shopify is not going anywhere uh, I don't see any any new platforms that are going to be able to take a big chunk um, out of their just stranglehold and growth that they've they've had over the e-commerce platform just the market in general they to me it's just very clear they're continuing to go deeper and deeper uh, on fighting Amazon whether it's intentional or not uh, the steps that they're taking in terms of fulfillment and really just removing every, every boundary uh, or every friction that an entrepreneur might have in creating and scaling an e-commerce brand. Um, They're just, they're really making, positioning themselves as the, you know, the great, uh, the great competitor to Amazon. Uh, So I wouldn't be surprised if they start getting, I mean, the fulfillment that they rolled out, that was really a really smart move. It's not. It's, it's. I don't even think it's technically out of beta, but I could see them doing something similar to where Amazon was going with you know, Amazon's purchase of Whole Foods enabled a whole different business segment for, for them. Uh, so I would say probably one one big prediction I would have is is a potentially a pretty pretty big acquisition that Shopify might make in the next couple of years. To I don't know who it'll be or, or potentially what what it will. You know what it will be but i could see something big like that whole foods purchase to position something that uh, some direction that they want to take whether it is like more local food based uh, food based distribution or you know just making making their ability to for merchants on Shopify platform to meet that you know one day same day two day shipping turnaround time that amazon has uh, obviously with the coronavirus that's that's throwing a mix uh into everything if in on some hands as in e-commerce it's people are just have blown bass blown past their goals so i think with anything coronavirus has actually forced uh, a change in e-commerce where just thinking about like just restaurants alone that they they've had to essentially uh, by 10 probably 5 to 10 years move up their whole pr- their whole thought process around e-commerce so most didn't have e-commerce most don't have didn't have any way for pickup online unless it was through other third-party services. So just that segment alone, I think, is going to be a, a just a huge growth in e-commerce um, and all the different businesses that'll that'll spin off of that uh, that growth and need to support restaurants. So it's going to be things like uh, you know pickup time and everything in between. But so I I can see that that being a, a pretty big growth uh, as. You know, coronavirus. Not not to make this political, but it's it's forced. It's forced, and is not going anywhere anytime soon. Anytime soon. Uh, so that those being like big picture things. Uh, tracking we we tracking is obviously going to evolve. Privacy is going to, going to evolve. Uh, it's people are just going to have more confusion on where attribution is. So it's gonna be like, why is why is Instagram not not reporting, or why is there no. Why am I not getting success out of Instagram? So it's funny, it, we've we've gone, I think we might ultimately go full circle of uh, wanting the attribution and seeing how all the different channels and how the multi-touch attribution looks. I can actually see everyone going back to just relying on last click. Uh, so you, you just rely on last click because we don't have the ability to do, we won't, won't have the ability to do a lot of that, but it's very, very much last click attribution, but being more intent driven on looking at last click uh, attribution for, Those other steps in the journey so something like signing up for an email or um, adding to cart or initiating checkout um, and using that to help make some decisions so yeah I'll talk about attribution now I'm back like yep everyone's going back to last click and it's gonna be very focused (laughs) very focused on different (laughs) aspects of the funnel and then just relying relying on some of that reporting within each platform um, you know versus uh, versus a more robust multi-touch multi-platform attribution tool
0: Love it. Speaking of reporting, I just got our monthly marketing report this morning. Looked at it, all my APIs are broken, so I'm gonna go <laughs> jump Uh-oh. into that hell <laughs> after this. Oh, cool, man. Brad. Well, that's that's great, man. I, I love what you said about Shopify. Could agree more. I feel like you know these SaaS you know platforms are really growing and competing against Amazon. And I think as brands get fed up with Amazon, they're going to connect with more social media and really try to go direct to consumers. So I think you're spot on on that.
1: Yeah. Thanks, Ron. I appreciate it. Thank you for
0: joining the e-commerce growth series. And a big thank you to Brad Redding at Elevar. If you have any questions, please feel free to reach us at ron at visitor.com and Brad at brad at Elevar.com. Elevar is spelled E-L-E-V-A-R. Thank you. We'll see you next time.